All right, good morning, everyone. Good morning. Ooh, I've never lifted one of these up before. There we go. Great. That was a first time for me. Um, <laughs> thanks, Zoo. All right, well, like Nathan said, we're in a series right now called Let It Be Known because we are, as a church, uh, moving into this uh, time where we're going to have this resource center. Uh, I'm just speaking that out clearly. We're going to have this. And we're so excited because the heart of this resource center um, is this just heartbeat and reunion. That's really what drew me into this church when I first showed up. I've been here for a year and a half, um, and you could just feel the heart for this city and for God in this community when I first came. So it is, it's a huge privilege to get to speak here this morning, and um, I'm really excited to see what God's not only going to be doing in this month as we share the heart of what does it mean to love our neighbor and to love our city well, and also see how that actually plays out with this resource center as we move into that season. Um, so I'm going to be speaking on the Good Samaritan this morning. I am curious, because this is one of those church stories. I did grow up in the church, so I've heard this story a thousand times at least. Is there anyone here who's never heard the story of the Good Samaritan? Sorry to put you on the spot. Anyone? Cool. We're all on the same, maybe a little bit. We're mostly on the same page. Uh, I really was just curious because I was like, hey, this is something that like, I learned this when I was three years old with Veggie Tales um, and have encountered it, yeah, many times since then. Um, so... We're going to dive on into the Word. Uh, if you have your Bible with you and you want to up, open up to Luke 10, 25 to 37, it will be up on the slide if you don't have your Bible, so don't panic. All right. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You've answered correctly. Go do this and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him, bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave him to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him. And whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of those three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. All right. So I'm going to tell you a story about when I was a kid and then tie that back into this just to let you know what I'm doing. Um, so when I, I became a Christian, I think I was like four years old. Um, I remember very clearly sitting in like this big auditorium at my, the church I grew up in and, uh, the pastor, whoever was speaking asked if you wanted to be a Christian, get saved. And, you know, being four years old, I was like, yeah, I want to do that. And got excited. And, uh, I remember like reading that little pamphlet afterwards and like thinking through like, oh, this is what I, uh, I'm a Christian now. And then like a year later, I was probably like in kindergarten Sunday school and the Sunday school teacher said, okay, who wants to accept Jesus into their heart? And I was like, well, I became a Christian, but I don't know if I accepted Jesus into my heart, so I should do that too. So I did that prayer 
and felt good about everything. And then a few years later in Sunday school, a uh, Sunday school teacher asked uh, who would like to accept Jesus as their own personal savior. And I was like, okay, well, I became a Christian, accepted Jesus in my heart. I should accept him as my personal savior. And then I did that as well. Did the prayer, did the whole thing, and I was like, I'm good, I'm solid, I'm doing well. And then a year later, the teacher asked, and I don't remember how they phrased it. They phrased it another way, though, because we know there are so many ways to ask this question. And again, I was like, oh, my gosh, I have to do this. Like, I need to, to make sure I'm in good standing with God. And so I did whatever that prayer was. And then, this is, this is where my brain took over and became strange, is I remember sitting in Sunday school and like 10 years old, and the teacher, Sunday school teacher asked this a different way. And it occurred to me, I had done the same thing multiple times. And then I started to panic because maybe if when you get saved, if you do it a second time, it counteracts the first one. <laughs> and so in the, I was doing this like math in my head to be like, how many times did I give my life to Christ? <laughs> this better be an odd number of times because if not, I got to do it right now. I'm, and I genuinely mean this. I'm sure nobody can relate to that. <laughs> that was my brain taking over. Uh, and while that's probably not like a relatable experience in that sense, I do think it reveals something about humanity and the way we view God. There's this desire we have for God to have this strict line of on one side, you're not good, and on the other side, you are good. And there's a way to just cross that line. It's very black and white. And maybe that's not just salvation. Maybe that's like, I'm a good Christian, I'm a bad Christian. You know, If I do A, B, and C, I'll be a good Christian. And if I do D, E, and F, I'm, I'm automatically a bad Christian. And we just desire to have this very strict structure in the way we live our lives to kind of have a, a confirmation of we're doing good, we're doing bad. And this is something that like, I struggle with no matter how much I try and lean in and understand what is grace, what does the grace of God actually mean? I still want to have a really specific plan for my life to prove to myself and to prove to God that I'm good enough or I'm a good person, I can do well. And what's hard is that it's really easy for this idea of loving your neighbor to get tied right back into this idea. And that's what's happening in the story. Um, The line that, when I read this Good Samaritan this time, there was this line that really stuck out to me that I had never noticed before. And it's in verse 29, when the lawyer says, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? So the lawyer in this moment is not actually asking who is my neighbor because he's concerned for his neighbor. He's asking because he wants to have an idea of how does he love people in order to seek his own justification. His question is completely devoid of concern for the life of any other human being. It's for his own righteousness. So when God tells us to love our neighbor, there can be this temptation to say things like, which neighbor, for how long, um, or the question that I personally get really, really stumped on, which is how, how do I love my neighbor, because I don't always know how to do it. And these aren't bad questions, but it loses the heart of what Jesus is actually saying in this story. And this is what's beautiful about Jesus, is because Jesus doesn't respond with condemnation. He doesn't say that was a selfish question. He says, think about what does it mean to love your neighbor? Think about the people who need love. That's not what Jesus says. Instead, he tells a story that illustrates kind of what the lawyer is asking and then makes it suddenly so much clearer and easier of what this really means. So, Taking a look at Jesus' response, we see three characters walk past, right? A priest, a Levite, and a Samaritan. And we'll get to the Samaritan later. But the priest and the Levite are really interesting choices on Jesus' part for how is he going to uh, illustrate this this view that the lawyer, basically show the lawyer what he's actually asking. Um, 
So the priest and the Levite um, in in the Jewish and Hebraic tradition are the upholders of the biblical law. So the priest is the guy who would have like lived and worked in the temple and people bring sacrifices and he does the sacrifices. So for the Jewish population, this guy is the one who enacts the law that they then follow and teaches the law that they follow. And the Levite is kind of something similar. Um, the Levites were a tribe of Israel that after the Israelites, so back in the Old Testament, we're talking like Exodus, leave Egypt. There's the 12 tribes of Israel and God basically gives each tribe a certain role within their society. And the Levites were the ones that were designated as the people of God. So these are your modern day like church workers and ministers and missionaries, the people who lived off of the finances of the rest of the population. Other people gave money to God and that kind of went to sustain the Levites. Um, So they were the workers of God. So the first two people that Jesus shows walking past this Samaritan are both people that represent the law. So these aren't just people who are, and, and they're not just failing the law. There's a, there's, they're actually probably following the law. What's happening is that as they walk past this guy, they see him, he's hurting, he's beaten, he's broken, and he is not going to help them achieve their self-righteousness or justification. By following the structure of the law as given to them and doing just that, they may not actually have to show love to this man in that moment because it may not have been a specific law written in them, and they've already achieved those things. They have a to-do list of what it means to be justified in God's sight, and they do that to the to-do list to the T and lose the heart behind it. And this is why Jesus uses a priest and a Levite, because this is what the lawyer is doing. The lawyer is now seeking to justify himself. And this is what I know that I do in fear. This is when I do not trust God, when I do not expect for God to actually love me if I'm not good enough. I I forget that that is who God is, is I lean towards this idea of justification and self-righteousness. I I remember when I was like 18 and trying to decide, do I go to college? Do I go to missions? Do I go to anything else? Like, do I just work for a while? And I kept thinking, like, wouldn't it be great if this was like the Old Testament and an angel would come down and be like, hey, listen, this army, you got to go fight. I'll give you the sword. I'll give you the shield. You're just going to go and then, like, raise your sword in the air. Sun will stop. Floods will come. Fire. Just do what I say. It'll be great. And like that, I wanted not, I didn't want to fight a war, but, you know, I wanted God to come down and be like, listen, I know you're worried, but just go to this specific school, study this specific thing, do this for a job. You will be good in my eyes. That's all I wanted. I remember kept asking that. I was like, God, just tell me what to do. I'll do it. Tell me, tell me, you want me to go to Ecuador? I'll go to Ecuador. You want me to stay here and be uh, an engineer? Not a good idea, but like, I'll do it. Like, tell me what to do and I'll try and make it work. And that's not how God was responding in that moment. God wasn't giving me a strong structure to follow. He instead was working with my heart and with my relationship. And in the same moment, it's this, it's this loss of under, or lack of understanding of what the law is actually trying to do. Um, so to get very Old Testament, we're going to go to uh, Romans 3.20 in the New Testament, but about the Old, if that's helpful. <laughs> <laughs> I know you guys are like, wait. Uh, Romans 3.20. Uh, and here Paul says, For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. So the purpose of the law when God gave us the law was to show us that we needed him. That's the whole point. It was to show you that you can't achieve this on your own. You're not going to do it. Um, it was to say, like, there's all these things you have to do to be within your own actions good in my eyes. 
And people tried and were like, oh, wait, we can't do this very well. We can't do all these things God gave us to do. Therefore, we need a savior. We need someone to step in on our behalf. And that's the point of the law. But then there are populations of people, and in this case, it's the priest and the Levite, who were pretty good at getting those things done. And we're like, hey, listen, we're good in our own eyes. We can do this. We can, we can meet these demands. We can make this work. And that's where self-righteousness comes from, where they're achieving their own righteousness and their own power. But that's not the point of the law. The point of the law is to show us our need for God, to show us how much we can't really do it without God. So they lived under a structure that when something in their path presented itself that is not designated as a necessity for their salvation, they walk on past. And that's something that, how often do I do that? How often do I not consider something worthy of my time because it's not under the, the structure I've built in my head of what it means for me to use my time well? I don't ask what God wants in those situations. I'm thinking through what I have already decided is a good use of my time. Who is worthy of my time? Who is worthy of my love? Who is worthy of my, of my day? And I, there are people who are in, the, in that mindset for me. There are people who, you know, I, I, I want to work with kids. I want to work with the homeless. And I see those people, and sometimes it's easier for me to love those people. But then how many people am I forgetting because I haven't designated them as worth my time? So in this story, Jesus reveals that if we live by a specific structure to define righteousness, we limit ourselves in who we will love and how we will love. So first, in what does it look like to limit who we love? There's something else about... I'm going to go back to the story. There's something else in this story that I had never noticed before, and I just found absolutely beautiful. Um, when you read The Good Samaritan... You'll notice, oh, don't put it up. Sorry, no, leave it there. You're good. <laughs> Stay, sorry. I, I just automatically looked. I'm like, it's there, right? Um, when, in the story of the Good Samaritan, the man who's beaten and bruised and hurting on the side of the road, there is no description given of this guy. We have no idea who he is. We don't know his social status. We don't know his race. We don't know his age. We don't know the context. We know nothing about this guy. So when the question the lawyer asks is, who is my neighbor, Jesus legitimately does not answer the question. He does not specify anything about this person. He is just a guy who needed help. That's it. We have no idea what's going on here. And that, that's what Christ is doing, is showing us that, there, that he's not going to answer this question. He's not going to tell us exactly what to do and when to do it and how to do it. That's not how God works. Jesus doesn't want us to, to just love the specific outline he's given us. If he had put just a homeless person there, there'd be the, kind of the temptation to be like, we're just going to go love the homeless. Maybe he'd put a widow there. We're just going to go love the widow. But then what about the people who we kind of categorize as not worthy of love, the abusers, the people in prison, or, or maybe the people who aren't good at showing love? Maybe there's a political group we think that aren't really good at showing how to love people, and we kind of write them off. They don't necessarily deserve our love because they don't know how to show it. But Jesus does not do any of that. He makes this a completely blank space of... This could be anyone. And not only that, it's literally, this could happen to anyone, especially in those times. Anyone could have been beaten on the side of the road. There's, we don't have a, a law to give to this. It's just a story. So how often do I feel a sense of guilt or conviction for someone who the society has designated as deserving of my time and love, but do nothing and how often are there people that actually need that as well 
and I look on past because I haven't put that label on them. We recently, um, well, I'll get to that in a minute. <laughs> Last week, Mike talked about um, what it means to uh, love the least of these. Um, actually, can you go to the next slide? Yeah, Matthew 25. Yeah. This is the verse that um, Mike talked about last week, and I wanted to go back to it because um, this really, really convicted me. Uh, it's Matthew 25, 37 to 40. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer to them, Truly I say to you, as you did to one of the least of these brothers, you did to me. So we also don't just limit who we love when we have kind of these structures in our minds of how do we do this well. Um, We're going to limit the way that we love. In this verse, we see that Jesus, this, Jesus is talking about feeding the hungry, you know, giving clothes to those who are naked, giving water to those who are thirsty. And I found this specifically convicting because I remember one time reading this verse and being like, well, yeah, if I saw someone starving, I'd give them bread. Like, of course, I'd give them something to eat. Like, it's easy. Buy them some food. Or if I, you know, if I saw someone was thirsty, I'll get them water. Like, that's, I can do that. Like, that didn't feel like a large ask. And then I was thinking about the context Jesus is telling this in, and the people he's actually calling to this, that may have been a much harder ask. It's one thing to give someone food when you have plenty, but it's something else to give them food when you are actually already lacking in it. And so I thought, where else, if Jesus was here now, what would maybe these asks be instead? Maybe it would be, you know, I was lonely, and you wanted to be my friend, or... I had depression, and you sat by me anyways. Maybe it was, I was a single mom with four kids trying to make it work, and you offered to babysit, you know? These different things that we just don't think about that are just, they're much bigger asks out of us. That's a much different thing to ask than maybe to feed someone just kind of as you're on your way to work. And Jesus, he's not asking small things out of us. He is asking something really big. And I limit the way that I love and how I love people when I think I have it in my mind that maybe I'm not the best person to do that. I'm not the most equipped person to do that. Okay, so recently, <laughs> we moved into Santa Ana. There's a group of us here that all moved into a house. Yeah, big blue house. It's right over, I don't know which way it is in bad directions, but thank you, Keaton. It's that way. That, cool. Um, big blue house. There's, there's going to be five of us soon living in that house. And uh, moving into Santa Ana was, like, in my head, I was so excited. I love this city, you guys. I've loved Santa Ana for a while. That was so much of what drew me uh, to this church, is seeing the heart for Santa Ana. And to see the people here, there's tons of variety in people. And you really do. You see people experiencing the hard things in life in this city. And I was like, yeah, I want to be there. I want to be part of it. I want to I see God move in Santa Ana. I want to bring the gospel to Santa Ana. Um, and then we moved here and just experienced some things where I'm like, that's why people don't want to live here. <laughs> Last Sunday, we got uh, home, or so it was like 11 o'clock in the morning. I'm looking for Carly, apparently. There you are. Hi. It was like 11 o'clock in the morning, and there was a guy who was drunk asleep on our porch. <laughs> and we were like, okay, 
cool. We had a, a woman who was homeless, and she was high, and she was taking a shower in her front spigot. Um, yeah, just normal stuff. Um, and it hasn't bothered me. It hasn't scared me, but I just suddenly get it. I'm like, oh, this is real life for people. This is, this is the reality of the world, and now I'm living in it in a new way. And it, those stories, are, they're, like a, they're, they're funny, they're challenging, and I haven't figured out exactly how to walk in those things yet. But then there's other things, like the couple that lives in their van and parks on our curb. And it, I don't know what to do. I know God has told me, Jesus says, love your neighbor. And I look at that, and I'm like, well, I'm stuck. I'm at a loss. How do I love them? Like, I, I'm, I'm, like, I'm the, the new, like, white fam, like, family that moved in the neighborhood, and, like, do they, do they actually want to talk to me? Maybe they don't, like, maybe, like, I represent something to them that they have no interest in. Do I knock on the car window and go, hey, you're homeless. Like, what do you do? <laughs> you know, I, 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 and I'm stuck. I don't know. And so in my head, I start making, like, these rationalities of, like, you know, there's organizations for this. Or maybe there's, like, food stamps or government that can help them. And I push that problem onto someone else, hoping and praying that maybe someone else will figure out a better answer for this. Because, like, you know, I don't know, and I legitimately don't. I don't know if I'm the right person to help them. I don't know what to do. And I see that all the time. I see people begging for money on the side of the road, and I'm like, what do I do? Like, they, they have mental illness, and I don't know how to help that. Like, I'm not equipped for this kind of thing. People need real help, and they have real problems. And how do you love someone in those situations? But my conviction has been in this question when Jesus says, I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. What is the experience for him saying that to someone who may not have enough food to share? But Jesus is still asking. And my temptation is to draw within myself and let someone else solve the answer to that. And because I can't do it fully, I can't do it well. I can't really love them well or help them well. And that's the difference. Is because I'm so afraid of not being able to do it well, I don't do it at all. I just pull myself back and say, no, 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 I'm not the right person for this. But maybe instead I can pray for them. Google, what do you do about this? This is why the Internet's there. Like, help me out. I work at a nonprofit. Maybe I can find someone in one of the other cubicles who knows a little bit better what to do. Ask for help. Ask about how do I go about this. And most importantly, just ask God. Because this is, again, where that kind of structure of the law limits us. We have this idea that there is a specific way to do something. We follow the structure of the law. We follow, we love people the way we're supposed to love people. We do things the way we're supposed to do things. And so when something is, feels outside of our depth, outside of our realm, we're like, well, that's not for me to do. That's because I know how to do, I know how to love people in this context, ABC. So I'm not going to try and do it in this other context. That's not where God has called me to be. But remember, the purpose of the law was to show us how much we need God. It's to show us our lack. It's not to tell us what we can do. It's to tell us what we can't do. And that's where we cling to Christ. That's, and this is why Jesus is so gently pulling this out in this story from, for the lawyer. He's not telling him, you're selfish. He's saying, don't get stuck on this, who is my neighbor and who isn't my neighbor. Instead, love the person in front of you. As you walk down the path and you see someone hurting, find a way to love them. And it, it may not be what you expect. It may not be a solving their problems. And it may not even be someone on the street. It may not be the situations I'm seeing in Santa Ana. Maybe it's someone next to you at your office. And they seem sad. Or they seem depressed. Or the, you, you know there's something going on at home. How do you love that person, even if you're not the best person equipped to do it? Because you have the Holy Spirit in you. That's enough. 
You don't need to do this on your own. God is not calling us to love people on our own. He's calling us to step out, and he will help us with that. So I then kind of want to turn to the Samaritan himself, the man who we actually do see expressing love. Um, So as we have the priest and the Levite, and they're this kind of representation of the biblical law, the Samaritans were a people group that were hated by the Jewish people. They were rejected, they were despised, they were kind of like put aside. No one wanted them. And the reason that is actually goes way back, again, to the Old Testament and uh, there's something written in the Hebraic law in, in, in you know, Deuteronomy, Leviticus, that section of the Bible, um, that says, do not marry outside of the Jewish people. Don't do it. And so when the Assyrian Empire, this great big empire army, took over Israel, many of the Jewish people stayed to the Jewish people, and some of them intermarried. And those ones had kids, and those are the Samaritans. So the Samaritans are almost this representation of the failure of the law. These are the people who could not do it. They couldn't follow the law. And it, it, was just, it was a thing that the Jewish people completely rejected them for because they didn't meet God's standards. And so this is the person that Jesus chooses having to be a neighbor to the man who is hurting, this guy. This person who is the absolute failure of the law. He is the one who couldn't meet that structured limit of what it meant to be justified in God's sight. And what's beautiful about that is that, meanwhile, the priest and the Levite, they didn't have a like, legal law-based obligation maybe to help this guy. The Samaritan had none whatsoever. He'd already failed. So when he loves this man on the side of the road, he's doing it because he actually had compassion. He loved the guy. He saw him, and he cared for him. It was as simple as that. And so Jesus is showing that our motivation is not a question of who is my neighbor. It is seeing someone and recognizing that person needs something. Maybe I can be the one to step into their life. Maybe I can be the one to love them. Maybe I'll do it terribly. Maybe I will knock on the window and be like, hi, are, are you homeless? And then ruin a lot of chances I have at relationship. But I'm, I still want to try and find some way to try and do that. Try and find some way to love those people. Maybe it's praying for them and maybe that's not the best way to do it. But that's what I got. That's what I know how to do. I can do that. So the lack of structure Christ responds with in how to love people is so key. Because if Jesus had given us a specific structure, he said, your neighbors are these people, and this is how you love them, we probably would have limited ourselves to that. We would have said, yep, this is how you do it. Cool. Got it. And especially in a different time, in a different culture, uh, that's not going to translate the same way to today. We're facing different problems. We all are facing different problems that are in our lives and the lives of people around us. So when we love people who are the least of these, and Mike said last week that the least of these are the people who are the unseen people, the people we just look over. When we love the people who are the least of these, I want to try and find a way where I can do it out of a place of actual love for them. Not a telling myself I should do this. I mean, those, sometimes it's how you got to get started. But I want to really, really reach out and care about those people. Christ is calling us into a lifestyle of loving people in our lives without expectation and without fear. We don't love people to meet a goal. We don't love people to make them better. We love people to love people. And we love people without, not the fear of what might happen, but we love people without the fear of not knowing how to do it well or right. 
We have to let go of that fear and say, you know what, we're going we're gonna to have this resource center and we're going to love the immigrant. We're going to love the homeless. We're going to love the single parent and we're going to love the unemployed. And we're going to do our best and we're going to trust that God will meet the ends that we cannot because it is not our place to transform the lives of others. That's Jesus alone. We just step out and do it. God makes it actually happen. So in that sense, the last point I want to make about the Samaritan actually is that the Samaritan being the despised and rejected man uh, from Jewish society was reaching out to someone we don't know. Um, we don't know if he was Jewish or not, but I'm going to go ahead and assume that part of the reason Jesus picked the Samaritan is because what we see now is a despised man showing love to a man who despised him. This isn't the story of the church reaching out and helping those we've rejected. It's the story of the rejected reaching out and helping us. And when we stand in that place, we're so much more likely to be able to love people well when we recognize that there's really, there, there, there needs to be nothing between us. You know, at my job, I work in a foster care nonprofit, and we work with a lot of these moms who are really struggling and need a place for their kids to stay. And these moms are struggling with all kinds of things, uh, whether it's homelessness, addiction, um, they've been victims of domestic violence. And you know what I found is that if I was facing those situations, those things would destroy me. And these strong women, while they look defeated and like despised and rejected from society, they probably have a lot they could teach me because I couldn't go through what they've gone through and come out standing. And here they are reaching out, knowing when to ask for help, knowing how to find. If I was kicked out of my house today, I would have no idea where to go if it wasn't for my community. And these women, they make it work. They do it. And it's so humbling to recognize that I am not going out to people and saying, I have something you don't. I'm going out to saying, please let me stand in this with you. Teach me how to love Christ while in suffering. And let me stand with you and hope to just do a little bit of this life with you. I want to love you as best I can. And that was just standing with a person. That's all it is sometimes. So this is my challenge to us as a community this week, is um, to expand the idea of who is our neighbor, who are we going to love. And this is, you know, as a resource center, we are. We're looking at helping the homeless and the immigrant. We're looking at the unemployed, the single parents. But that may not be uh, the, the people in your life right now who need love. And we do want to invite this community into loving and serving in this resource center and giving towards it and being a part of it because we don't want to have it just to the church leadership. We want to do it as a community because that's how we'll do it best. But let's keep our eyes open and see, is it the person next to me that needs love? Or is it, is it the person in my office? Or is it the homeless person down the street? Our lives are busy and complicated. And I'm going to invite the worship team forward. Our lives are busy and complicated, and I don't want to be afraid of the fact that I don't know how to love people well, but I also do not want to let that control my actions. I'm going to embrace the fact that I may not be good at this and just pray and ask God, what do I do next? How do I love someone? It's with God alone that we will love our neighbors well, and it's with God alone that we will learn also how to be loved by our neighbors. So as we enter in this time of worship, uh, I want to encourage everyone to take some time, pray, and see where God is speaking to you within this. Maybe it's someone at your office. Maybe it is someone who's, our, who's homeless. Uh, maybe it's someone in your family. 
Who is it that you can love well? And not only that, but don't be afraid of the fact if you don't know how to do that. If you see someone hurting who's in your life already or you pass someone on the street who's hurting, don't be afraid of the fact that you don't know what to do. But let's pray. Let's ask God together as a community. What do we do? And trust that God will do what you cannot. But do not be afraid to step out. Take that step. Reach out to someone. And let's see the amazing work that God is going to do through this.